0: City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar,
1: Design
2: To the American Theater Wing seminars on working in the theater. These are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. The American Theater Wing has a series of programs that we do year round. We go to hospitals, we bring live theater to hospitals, live entertainment. We go to nursing homes and to aid centers, bringing a little bit of magic into the lives of the patients. We also have a Broadway. Introduction to Broadway program, which is done in conjunction with the New York City Board of Education and the wonderful generosity of the producers. The producers give us the tickets at a minimal price, and we in turn give these tickets to the students who pay a very, very small price, but part of the program is that they learn to buy a ticket to go to a Broadway show, and this they have done by the thousands, It's a very successful program and it's a very happy program because it enriches the lives of students, it shows them what theater can bring to them, and it also helps create the audience of the future. We are perhaps known for the Tony Awards, which is a a very wonderful honor indeed, and it's the highest honor in the theater. But it isn't given for the longest run nor for the best review. It is given for the achievement of excellence in the craft of theater. And we're very proud of that distinction. And so it has gone on for years and years since it was first created in honor of Antoinette Perry. We've had seminars on the performance, on the play script and uh, director. We've had a seminar on the production. And today's seminar is on design. The people who bring the magic to theatre, in many cases, you see their work, and when it is most successful, you don't see their work. It is a very important part of the theatre. It is that which, as I've said, brings the whole thing together and makes theatre come alive. Today's seminar on design is chaired by Professor Tishtates, who is an author. And a critic, Patricia Ziprod, who is a Tony Award costume designer, and Jean Dalrymple, who has done all of those things from oh, I guess from author, critic, designer, producer, and I'm proud to say a member of the board of directors of the American Theatre Wing. I will introduce Professor Tish States and she will in turn introduce the members of the panel to you. Thank you for being with us.
3: Thank you, Mrs. Stevenson. Uh, I'd like to introduce costume designer Elizabeth Freed, who recently received her MFA from the Yale Drama School and who has designed, among many other productions, uh, two at the Ridiculous Theatrical Company, Camille, and, most recently, Brother Truckers, for which she has just won the 1993 American Theatre Wing Costume Design Award. Next, John Arnone, the scenic designer who made a clean sweep of all the 1993 Scene Design Awards by winning not only the Tony Award, but the Drama Desk Award, the Autocritic Circle Award, and, just a few moments ago, the 1993 American Theatre Wing Scene Design Award. He also won that latter award uh, last year, as well, for his design of Pericles. (coughs) Then Gene Dalrymple, the legendary Broadway director and producer. Um, Mimi Jordan Sharon, the lighting designer, uh, has just won the 1993 Lighting Design Award for Wojciech, Uh, at the new york shakespeare festival among many other lighting designs she's done Um, another one at that theater uh... tis pity she's a whore and the broadway show our country's good next wendell k harrington who um... has designed the projections for many broadway shows including they're playing our song the heidi chronicles the will rogers follies um, my one and only I got that right too. And most recently, Tommy, for which she has just won the 1993 Noteworthy Unusual Effects Award for the American Theater Wing. And uh, also co chairing with Jean Dalrymple and myself is Patricia Ziprot, uh the Broadway costume designer uh, who has won not only Tony Awards in costume designing but also American Theater Wing costume design awards and was a nominee for 1993 for my favorite year. Thank you all for joining me. Um, I am very eager to um, find out what sort of budgets you all had. Uh, we, have here, we have here two Broadway designers um, and a, a designer from the New York Shakespeare Festival, which has a bit bigger budget than, than, than some non-Broadway shows. And a designer from the Ridiculous Theatrical Company, who operated, I know, on a very small budget, but I'd love to know, a Ridiculous budget. <laughs> How small was it, exactly? Do you remember, Elizabeth?
4: Uh, I, I tried not to keep track, but I, I, think, it was, I think it was about $2,400, and, um, and I came in maybe two cents under budget. <laughs> uh, oh. But I, I mean, it it was difficult, but I kind of like... The constraints in a way, in a weird way. I mean, I look forward to having more and more money as I continue in my career, but um, I really won't look forward to that too hard because I know it's not true. But it does, I mean, the the tightness of the budget um, produced a lot of creativity in terms of going to my friends in the community who aren't working yet on a very high level and who have a lot of ideas on their own, of their own and maximizing, maximizing their talent. For instance, that there was a wonderful collar that Everett Quinton wore, a huge collar. And um, my friend Chip, before he even read the script, said, I think that show's gonna be about collars. I think you should look at the Mad Queen and Snow White. And that was the only outfit the press photographed. So because I've had to establish all of these connections at a very low level, um, and friendships, a lot of the creativity comes from all that, mm-hmm. and a lot of the collaboration comes from sources outside the theater that's producing the show, and I think that's always good.
5: Mm-hmm. That's the way I did when I was eight years old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Out in the garage or the right. barn or that <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. No, in my grandmother's living room, I produced Joseph and his coat of many colors. <laughs> long before anybody in the theater thought of it. And it was a big hit. It cost 10 cents and sold out.
3: (laughs) It cost 10 cents for the audience or 10 cents to produce? Oh, no.
5: It didn't cost anything to produce. I borrowed everything either from my family or the family of the actors. The actors were all eight. and. Nine and ten years old, also.
6: I think that's interesting. You know, because I don't know. I, I I didn't start off as a designer, but as an actor. But as a as a child, I, I remember well, you you produced Joseph yeah. in the living room. I did the nativity uh, <laughs> out in the in the backyard quite a bit. And uh, I would. Uh, I know this, like this is going to sound <laughs> ridiculous, but uh, you know, thrilled that uh, when I could find like a large refrigerator box yeah. or. Uh, a washing machine. Of course, I was about, you know, two or three or four at the time, but I would get the box and put it out in the middle of the yard, and uh, the, it, would, it always had to be on a day that the yard had just been mowed. It was very important that you gathered up all of the cuttings from from the day, put it in the box, and then I remember just sitting in the box.
7: And. Uh, <laughs> I would do. I,
6: some days I would be uh, Joseph. Other days I would be Mary. Sometimes I would be one of the animals. But mother would pass by and she said, "What are you doing in the box?" And I would just silently sit there, very still, and not say a word. And I don't know where I was. I mean, I don't having an out of body experience. But I, I would pre-
7: perform. A,
6: perform the nativity frequently. Did
8: you ever play the
0: part of the baby? The well, baby
6: Jesus was always, in my mind, you know, when you first saw the, the first crash, the first nativity scene uh, in church, you, as a little child, wanted to go see it. And we went up to the crib, and then in the, in the crib, of course, was a light bulb. So this was very difficult. For, for a long time, I thought baby Jesus was a light bulb, and
7: uh, <laughs> this, was I distracting. Bad, I this was distracting. <laughs> And of, course, yeah. and of course,
1: and of course, I uh, at about the same age produced and starred in Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> <laughs> Except I was the stepmother, so I rewrote it, uh. of course. So that was the biggest part. And I, 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 I do, I do, I also designed the costumes, and um, I don't think there was any lighting at all. So, but anyway,
2: yeah. I, <laughs> what creative children we have here today!
1: <laughs> <laughs>
7: John, so. y- you, you
3: make... You make the nativity sound like there was no action, no plot, no character, only a set. Um, <laughs> well, I think all that—I
6: I think all of that was in my head. I mean, everything. You know, I mean, it's like. Where we go to do whatever it is we do. I mean, our instinct, our imagination. I mean, I think <laughs> even though I appeared to be still, there was an entire story, an entire plot, you know, characters were going on, whatnot.
7: In your head. In, in my in, evil?
6: Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
3: Not very people. On, so, also,
6: I think it was a form of meditation. I mean, I think we go in, you know, we have to go to a place, you know, you never want to expect, you come to the studio and you see drawings or you see models or or whatnot, but where you have to go, or, or to Wendell's. It's always a joy to go over to Wendell's and look at the books and see all of the, the, the slides being produced. But, uh, and you're fascinated with the material, you know, but what's on the other side of that? I mean, the, the imagination, the instinct. You have to go, I mean, I think we all, I mean, anyone who, uh, um, in our field at least, are, uh, you know, goes to a place that's very quiet. You know, at some point, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a reserve, it's a, uh, it's, it's a moment in, in the day that you take uh, just for yourself, even if it happens in a split second. But in that split second, the, an entire vision unfolds itself. Yeah. And uh, it, it's perhaps uh, hard to describe, or it may seem like nothing's going on, but it's what produces all of the material that uh, people recognize us for what we do.
3: Before we come back to the subject of budgets, it occurs to me that we really need to find out what Wendell K. Harrington's first uh, production was. (laughs) Everyone else was out there doing productions in their garages. How about you? You
8: The thing is, is that I um, I come to the theater from another place. I was a designer in advertising, and uh, so I'm of all of my uh, friends in the theater, the only one who never grew up put thinking I was well I, I I remember in high school that I uh, I went to Catholic school and I tried to convince the nuns that we could in fact put on Marat Sad <laughs> for the senior <laughs> play because I had found a bathtub and that that, that, was, that was as good a reason as any but that was sort of before I had any kind of concept about using projections um, sorry there was just the bathtub that seemed to to be the beginning inspiration but I came to theater um, Uh, in a way late in in life and now it is my children who are constantly putting on shows in the living room so I, I I seek inspiration from them they're living out my childhood that I I was busy playing, actually, Office, I have to admit, <laughs> when I right. child, which, uh, which is why I'm so well-organized now. Did you lock
6: yourself in a closet with a typewriter? Did you
8: no, no. My thing? father was a printer, so I had a lot of access to, like, pads and, and paper, carbon paper was a big, oh, uh, wow.
3: important Did you tool. lock yourself in a oh, closet absolutely. with a typewriter? Oh, absolutely,
7: absolutely.
6: Yeah. But you know, you <laughs> shouldn't <laughs> underestimate the bathtub in <laughs> Marat Saad. It's the most difficult prop uh, <laughs> to create. because. I mean, it's this poor actor that's sitting in a tub of water for, for the entire show. And so he has to be comfortable, you know. So the fittings that I, We did a production of Marat Saad at, at uh, the Guthrie, two Christmases... The Christmas show at the Guthrie, and uh, the, uh, two years ago. And I think the fittings for the, the tub were certainly as complex as any of the... The costume fittings, you know, were—I I mean, there were there were models that had to be made. His his comfort, how he could shift around inside of it, uh, you know, all of that. So, if you've got the bathtub, you've got the production. I think
8: that's what I thought. <laughs> There's a point <part> of view.
0: <laughs> now, if you've got the bathtub, you've got the production. <laughs> 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 <hurting> here first, <laughs>
3: Patricia. Did did you come? Did you come to theater th- as a costume designer through Halloween, or what happened to you? So I never indulged in
0: Halloween mm-hmm. I don't like to wear costumes I avoid costume parties my approach was uh, I made paper dolls I designed my own people I had whole little families I had villains and and gentle people and the whole thing I clipped plot backgrounds out of my mother's good housekeepings and town and country or whatever I needed, I'd go through her magazines and get all these things, then I would invent a little story. And then, having done all of that, and I would, of course, turn on the light, you know, I've lots of slides, <laughs> <laughs> having done all of the necessities like that, I would then dress these people in what was right for the occasion, for the plot, <laughs> for the scenery colors, for the lighting, and all those things and send them forth on a rainy afternoon in my room or in the attic or wherever I was dispatched to oops, excuse me Uh, and then after a certain period of time I just put all those things away and by chance my mother saved them as mothers do and many thousands of years later when she was closing down our house going through the attic here are these little envelopes filled with people and she sent them to me, and I'm oh. in the, fully in the middle of this insane career, this nutty profession of trying to put clothes on people, and out come these paper dolls. And there is the little lady in the yellow dress with a matching parasol and shoes. I regret to say her, their shoes match their dresses. We don't do that <laughs> anymore, <laughs> but anyway. And I suddenly realized where it came from. Where it came, I was telling stories with clothes when I was like six and seven and eight, you know, whatever age you start cutting up your mother's magazines. And really telling stories. They just weren't in clothes, they were in riding pants for the horse scenes and for the, if I could find an ocean liner, you should have seen those outfits. (laughs) You know, and so someone once told me that a person is most blessed when what they're doing as adults has a deep, deep line with things that occupy them natively, generically almost, as children. Because that source, if you tap into that, and I feel I was, I was blessed in, in a peculiar way tapping into that, that source is always there, so you don't go stale. You are always refreshed by your work, instead of thinking, oh, I'm tired of this. What do I do next? You do it in another form. But the freshness stays there. And all of us in the theater, I think, have the experience of always being too able to refresh ourselves and our crafts and our hopeful arts by tapping these deep, oh, almost un- like underground streams that never dry up. That's enough of that. Excuse <laughs> me. <mean? laughs> but I mean it very passionately. Patricia, mm-hmm. where do you go from the cutting of dolls? And uh, I went to art school and of uh, the paintbrush, mm-hmm. and where uh, the Art Institute in Chicago, uh, the art classes at my high school in New Trier in Winneka. Okay. And then and there and, uh, into costume design? Or? No, then there to uh, uh, a phase when I was going to be a social worker and solve all the problems. And I worked with juvenile delinquents. I did all the kind of Wellesley College activities. And then I recovered from that. and and was very restless. I knew I had to do something to get back to my painting and what have you. And uh, I just moved to New York, aimlessly. I just knew I had to be here, and I had no idea what I was going to do, and I was painting and ushering at Carnegie Hall and waiting on tables at Schraff's and doing all the things that you did in the 50s, and painting and wondering. And one day, I had seen a million ballets. Of New York City Ballet, and one night out came the world's most beautiful dress that Karinska had designed—beautiful, romantic tutu, layers of net, silk nets. I had kn- the colors of which you never think of <coughs> as a as theater colors. This was in the fifties, early early fifties, and I thought, "Well, I'll paint with fabric. That's what I'll do," and that's what I did. And that is always my approach into my work—is th- from a it's uh, just like when I was a little kid and the hunt scene was green, uh, everybody got clothes that looked well in green. Well I paint myself a little scenic color rough background and work out my plots and my scenes with color first and then I move to character and research and all of that.
2: But, mm-hmm. so it all, Keeps coming Keep together. Circles. Yeah.
4: Elizabeth, did you study, or if so? well, I'm just wondering if costume designers have this much in common all the time? I I, I come from the Midwest, from Deerfield, Illinois, okay. ten minutes away from yeah. where you're from. I went to Barnard, yeah. um, but I never another women's school. I never, I I never was associated with clothing. I was an investment banker well I started out as a ballet dancer I was ready to go into the Joffrey company and I injured myself and had to quit and then I went to Barnard in the 80's and I graduated at the height of the bull market and the thing to do was to get a job on Wall Street so I did and my first question was like, how many zeros go on a million you know and how do I turn this calculator if I talked my way into the job then I got into Harvard Business School and um, <laughs> Of course. and Every I thought I cannot do sponsor. this I want to be a fashion designer I thought it was fashion <laughs> oh, and I moved to Paris like, like you, you know I just have to be in Paris I studied at the Chambre Saint de la Couture Parisienne for five months and at night ran to an investment banker's office and helped him pick stocks on the New York Stock Exchange that lasted for five months I couldn't deal with it I quit school but during school I realized that it was it was the theater as you said, the, the seeds from being a ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. I had a problem with the morality of Seventh Avenue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> I might go back to it anyway. No. Um, but to support what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I love com- I love the commercial world now. I, I think it's fascinating. But that was my route. It was I was in advertising for a while at J. Walter Thompson, and mm-hmm. little by there. little, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's
7: and it all feeds into
4: the work, though. I mean, it, it all it all adds up.
3: You think? Well, no wonder you mm-hmm. know how to manage a small budget. You were investment banker, you were yeah. investing in yeah. stocks yeah. and so forth. Did you the say $400 was your, was your budget?
1: 2400
3: 2400 That's not quite so bad. <laughs> Mimi, what was your budget for the lighting for Wojciech at the Public Theater?
1: I have to say, I make it a business of mine never oh, to know a
3: budget. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's
1: very Would important you? to me, and if somebody uh, says yeah. it, I start screaming yeah. or pretend I haven't Next heard. Next question, something. related question. Oh. If
3: um, if they had said you had an unlimited budget and you could uh, do anything you wanted to do, would you have done anything any differently from <coughs> that bright white light, which lent that eerie, sterile, deathly quality? No, I wouldn't to, 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 to have. No, like no I really Atlanta wouldn't have. I
1: I, um, I really designed for a space more than a show. I think in in a lot of ways and. Uh, I think my design would have been exactly the same had I known anything. And I, I really do make the point not to know. I hope mm-hmm. too many That's producers right. aren't listening. listening. That's fun.
2: That's the answer Just wondered How much does money come in? Yeah. Yes, please. yes. Exactly. And it, it in They're fact,
1: doesn't. Um, uh, in this particular case, I have to say, uh, in relation to the New York Shakespeare Festival, the money, it seemed to be, the pit was bottomless. I kept asking for things, and they kept turning up, and nobody mm-hmm. ever said no. And it's this is not a usual circumstance but um, that that happened in this particular case and uh, so I, I literally did make additions as I went along but never encountered any problem with with uh-huh. it at all I know it was a miracle when you get to get in the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. well in, in fact yes, on our country it. is good it was a Broadway Alliance production and I'm not going to go into that here
7: yeah.
4: are there different yeah. unions
2: in off off Broadway or did you work? Through, with the union? No. The, uh, no.
4: Union. In fact, I, I, uh, I learned to write my own contract on that show, mm-hmm. so that was helpful. Nice. Uh,
3: for, for Tommy, um, would you care to discuss your budget or at least its effect on the show? You yeah, know, the thing with Tommy
8: was that since we had done it in La Jolla initially on a relatively shoestring budget, I don't remember what the budget exactly was for the projections in Tommy, but we, uh, you know, made a lot of stuff out of things we had available to us that were easy to find, easy to make. Um, and then going to Broadway, we already had a basis for where we were going, only it got to be twice as large and had to be look a lot better, so the budget I would say quadrupled from what we had. So I I think, I can't remember, do you remember, Uh, ultimately the budget for for the slides for Broadway were like $142,000 to produce, it's over 2,000 slides that are actually in the Broadway version of Tommy. Had you
2: ever done anything like that before?
8: Well, I did. They're playing our song. It doesn't have 2,000 slides in it. And I've done a number of industrial shows that it have had many slides. Uh, I, I did a 45 projector show that was like the Swedish experience for a theme park in mm-hmm. uh, outside of Gothenburg, and uh, I would say that probably had in the vicinity of 3,000 slides in. I mean, it was it was a large production because. Though that seems like a lot of money that's not a lot of money to to work with for theatre
2: because of the level of perfection. Would you explain what the slides were, or what they were like?
3: Well, we've actually got some slides here. Um,
2: maybe maybe John would
3: like to say a little something about the set before we actually okay. show them. Um, we're lucky enough to have John Arnone, who designed the set for Tommy, and Winnicka Harrington, who designed the, the, the slides, the projections. and. Um, I I gather that this set uh, got a little bit smaller. Is that true? Because the the La Jolla stage was a little bit bigger than than the St. James? Yeah,
6: the the La Jolla stage is uh, large by comparison. It's got almost 40 feet worth of depth, and the St. James doesn't come anywhere near that. The the width is fine. But uh, we had... uh, you know, you know, in, in La Jolla, we had a lot more room for projector throw for, and uh, the, the distance of the image from the projector to the screen. And uh, at the St. James, it was was greatly reduced. So, you know, Wendell came up with a, you know, with a technology and a, a lens that uh, was able to produce the same thing with a shorter distance, and also. Quite brilliantly at the same time affected the design and the configuration of the windows or the re- rear projection screens that uh, that we use uh, had to refigure themselves in a way that enhanced the design uh, uh, which I was quite <coughs> pleased to you know see happen and the, the, the rear projection screens uh, are uh, sort of a universal uh, uh, background uh, windows uh, windows, uh, outside your house, whether you conceive of your house as the four walls you live in or the interior house of your existence, uh, and specifically in this case, Tommy's mind. Uh, So the rear projection screens are very important in that they uh, not only animate uh, and provide the information that will get you from one scene to the next, uh, but will also give you something of the layering and the experience that young Tommy, this autistic child who can't see, hear or speak, is having at the same time, uh, not literally, but uh, but uh, in a symbolic sort of way, uh, and at the same time, uh, all of this is orchestrated to the music, uh, so that all of the, the images, uh, the story, all comes out of the music. Nothing happens before the music uh, begins, and also, all of these images and the story is driven by the music. So, uh, you were talking about limitations of in terms of, of budget, the great, uh, you know the. The, the music is sort of the framework, not sort of it is the framework for the piece however these these windows uh, refigured themselves for the Broadway production out of necessity mm-hmm. and uh, and I think look a lot better than they they do in La Jolla at least metaphorically they look they, they look a lot better and uh, so that that gives you the context for the for the for the background for the projections
3: mm-hmm. um- I, I know that we'd all be really interested in, in how the two of you work together. What's set? What's projections? Who decides? Like, well, for, for instance, um, if I may ask a specific question, maybe we can spring off from that. Um, I know in the, when um, the, the father is in the prisoner of war camp, um, it seemed that you had actual um, metal for the, the, um, the prison wall. Uh, that is, it was barbed wire, I guess. Right. It looked like some- something that was supposed to represent barbed wire that was cleaning, clearly a scenic element. And you were projecting uh, along the top panels something to complete the the image of the prisoner of war camp. Who, who decided who was doing what there?
8: You know, it was just there to be done. <laughs> so I mean, there's actually a slide of that if you want to see
3: yeah. it. Yeah. Why don't we take a look uh, at some of the slides? I can just get to and perhaps you could talk about who did what as you,
6: you know, how uh-huh. your slides
3: worked into his set and so Something
6: forth. that might help you out a little bit on that question is that when we beg- uh, began the designs in, in La Jolla, uh, uh, we, we had a very short period of time to produce what became very clear it was going to be a gargantuan amount of work. And uh, Des and I and, and Pete, you know, began to work with this idea of, of projections, which none of us were, were that conversant or that comfortable with. And the more we convinced ourselves that projections were uh, going to be part of the vocabulary, and given the short amount of time, we realized that we needed to get a, an expert and someone who knew what they were talking about uh, to handle it, and not just a, a graduate student. Not that I have anything against graduate students, uh, but uh, I have a few things against graduate students. But,
8: uh, cameras will now be turned. off. <laughs> Your but uh, but um,
6: uh, So we called Wendell, I said, Des, we need Wendell. Uh, so Wendell came down and, and Wendell, I mean, that's what's interesting about the piece. I mean, because we had all worked together, all knew each other to some extent yeah. and were all of somewhat, genera- in a generational way, related and all had worked at the Playhouse and all had worked with Des, uh, there were common denominators that uh, helped, uh, I don't know, um, facilitate a common voice. Uh, or a common vision. And uh, Des is, you know, uh, very specific. You know, he's, he's uh, God bless him, visually minded and uh, can, uh, you, know, t- you know, has in his mind, I think, very clear sort of vision of, uh, uh, of the direction we were to take. And uh, so, because we were able to work early on and because, for some reason, uh, uh, the pieces fell into place uh, you don't, you aren't able to separate the projections from the set, from the lighting, from the costumes, mm-hmm. from the direction, from the acting, from the music. I mean, it's one of those occasions, I think, where it worked, you know, where it all came together. You know, there's a, a cohesion and a, a unity of vision, uh, so that when Wendell says it's difficult, you know, we're, we I, I think it is difficult and we're not being coy or just self-congratulatory it's it's very difficult mm-hmm. to separate it I mean but but the process was very specific I mean uh, uh,
8: what, just one of the things was for me this was one of the most interesting things about working in Tommy was that the color palette came entirely from the costumes for me early on Daz and John are working in La Jolla I'm working in New York I'm making storyboards and faxing them and having phone conversations pretty odd way to work with a very short period of time and most of the scenery was black and white. It's grid, it's, uh, it's an RP screen, there was no... So John, what color? I don't know what color. <laughs> uh, call Woolard. You know, I called Woolard. Woolard sent me uh, color chips, scene-by-scene breakdown, this mm-hmm. is while he's working on this. This is what I'm thinking of, you know. Mm-hmm. The doctor scene looks like this little Pantone mm-hmm. chip, Say like, mm-hmm. this is what it is. So I'd take a look and started to work with those colors mm-hmm. to adapt the slides. And we got up to La Jolla, having never seen a piece of clothing that he had yeah. done, and he hadn't seen anything that I, he was not privy to the storyboard conversations, you know, costume designers generally left out of that, right? I know, I know. <laughs> no, You know. know. <laughs> Suddenly we get, we, we end up in La Jolla, the image goes up, the first day of the costumes come under, it was the top of the second act, this laundromat, big yellow and blue, Uh, laundry machines the clothes walk out (gasps) they are perfect it it was it vibrated because it was exactly dead on and the the great thing for me was that there's a lot of very odd imagery in tommy things get warped or looking at the world through an autistic child's vision i struggled with how to make that as odd as possible and still make it acceptable and the the thing that happened was as i understood the What happened when the costumes walked out in front of that odd imagery? It was Mm -hmm. grounded. Mm -hmm. It stood up. Didn't Mm -hmm. matter what it was, just you know, raw egg would have Mm -hmm. been right Mm -hmm. if the clothes and everything else seemed to ground it. Mm -hmm. And that was, for me, that was the most exciting Mm -hmm. part of the collaboration because I never really worked that closely with a a costume designer before. But also that lesson of how color. I mean. For me, working with lighting designers quite frequent. What gels you're using, what color you're using in the scene. This I understand. But that idea that you you mm-hmm. you make the whole world vibrate in in unity yeah. because yeah, yeah, everything definitely. is the same color, or you are working together. Or maybe it's not the same color. You say, oh, you're going this way. I'll go yeah. that way mm-hmm. because you know, if you're red it's and I'm green, good. it's gonna ha- you know this is gonna shake for everybody in the house. Yes that was a great mm-hmm. uh it's very good experience.
1: often a, a happy mistake too i mean so many things are not planned that look planned and you know you turn around and go to the costume designer <laughs> <laughs> uh, good color you chose i chose it too you know and and uh, um it, it i find that's true all the time uh, especially if you work with people uh, uh, over and over again you yeah. tend to not that they do the same things at all you just yeah. tend to get to know each other and Different feel categories. each other
2: out let ABCs of putting this all together. Who comes first on the production? Set designer, costume designer? I would say set uh, designer. Where does the director, the, the producer, come into this? Who's
7: well,
6: I mean, I can use an example right now. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, a couple of productions that are at the beginning of uh, the design, and I don't have a lighting designer. Uh, I've met with a costume designer, and, and we've shocked them into next week. But uh, because of the color palette, but there's no lighting designer yet, and it's it's scaring me because I, I know, uh, you know, when when I, I have to accommodate them in terms of positions, and I've I've designed lights myself, and just from experience know that there at least have to be you know these positions here, here, and here, and here, and here, if anyone's going to see anything, especially uh, if 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 it's a dance piece, if it's a which this one piece I'm doing right now is it's uh, the tour of Greece that's going to go out and come back to New York. Uh, in the summer. But, uh, but we don't have a lighting designer right now, and I'm on the phone to the producers every day saying, we've got to make a choice, we've got to make a choice because I'm going to bids on Thursday with it, and I'm afraid I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, going to bids with incomplete information.
2: What happened before there were lighting desires, as such, in the theatre? Gene's time, for example, he didn't have something called a lighting designer. There was the electrician oh, that turned you on the lights. A, you essentially, know. you they had said a technician, he said, oh, like or, some or, pink, or a
1: stage manager. Oh, I mean, stage literally, literally he kept yeah. Joe Melzior, who
0: always did his lighting. And Boris started out right. having to do lighting. I mean, the. Y- your predecessors, all our predecessors, had to deal with that. There were no costume designers right. either. Right. Wasn't there you know. just
3: a single union exam, so yes. that people really had to master yes. the early the days. skills. It's early also days.
6: a question of volume. I mean, I know I had tried when I first uh, started designing. I, I I did lights for a few shows. I did costumes for a few shows, and uh, it, it it got to the point where it was just too yeah. much. Yeah. Not only it's was it it's overwhelming, yeah. but also you begin to recognize the fact that. Uh, the idea of, the cl- of collaboration in the theatre is so limited to begin with. I mean, y- y- you know, you have this sort of idea that, you, that it's, well, you, you were asking, it's, it's three designers and a, a director and you, yeah. they're all hidden away in some sort of cave and uh, you never see who they are. And uh, it's one thing I've been thinking a lot about in the past uh, three years and uh, to try and just change the direction. Of of how we work, or at least how I work. I mean, I can't do it for anybody else. But uh, but uh, I've sort of made somewhat of a commitment to try and clear my schedule so I can be there for as much of the rehearsal period as possible mm-hmm. and be there every day and uh, start some day, start part of the day off at the studio, mm-hmm. but then go back to go to the check in at rehearsal every day mm-hmm. just to mm-hmm. sort of get a, a little bit of a you know not only to feel like you're participating in the Creation of the actual event, but that you're not such a stranger. Like the the, the actors never know who you are, and you can't remember how th- their names. You know, and yeah. then it all comes together magically somehow. And I'm thinking, who's fooling who? Yeah. You know, that's simply not right. the way it works. Right. And we are always here, because we have to work multiple jobs. I mean. You know, throughout your career, uh, you don't get the the luxury of doing this. And I'm not saying I get to work this way exclusively. I don't. None of us do. But I find, as I, I when I can, I try and spend more time in in, in the rehearsal period. See it? really yeah, I mean, you'd sort of see what what's going on. And as yeah. Wendell Wendell was saying, like, what what's the color going to be? Well, you ask yourself, what? How do you uh, you know uh, form those decisions just from reading the script and just from Talking to the director or talking—I mean, if you're actually in the rehearsal process to some extent, I think that adds to uh, yeah. your ability your to choose. Definitely.
7: You know, uh, in both?
3: Tommy, it must have been complicated uh, by the fact that there wasn't exactly a script, was there? I mean, the the, the people who give no. the directives in Tommy—I suppose <laughs> the, the the particular person would be Des McAnuff, who directed it and co-authored the script. Um, but then this, it's a sung-through show, so uh, Pete Townsend composed it and co-authored the, the, the script with Des as they put together a sort of new, uh, new storyline for it. Um, but it must have been tough working with that. It seems to me that, that the designers of Tommy conveyed the, the plot and the emotional impact, the characterizations, the situations just as much, if not more, than the the lyrics and the music and what the actors were doing. Could, could you tell us how that worked with these slides? There's a tantalizing oh, yeah. slide over there on the projector oh. showing.
8: Well, actually, the, the thing is that the f- the, in the overture, I can run through some of those slides in the beginning, there, we go through the whole um, the Mr. and Mrs. Walker, they meet, they marry, they're separated. All of that is told wordlessly in it's the overture of uh, Tommy. It's done through through action. Um, uh, they meet. She's she's uh, working, uh, making an airplane. He uh, they they go to a dance. So this all happens. What? How long does the whole thing Seven take? Minutes. Seven minutes. They go to a dance. They dance. Next thing you know, it's a church. <laughs> they get married. Uh, they go home. He kisses her goodbye. He gets up in an airplane. Uh, jumps through a hole in the floor, and lo and behold, comes flying in behind a scrim, only to be shot by Germans,
3: So Uh it's a very sad thing. You watch the actors, you hear the music, you see the The scenery, the lighting, the costumes, and the projections, visual and then the music. Then you see this
8: scene here, he's gone to clearly a prison camp, Mm -hmm. and someone comes out and sings, it's a boy, Mrs. Walker, it's a boy. and there you are, mm-hmm. this really, the first real music of the. of the Oh, I guess Captain Walker didn't come home. Yeah, that, that uh-huh. comes first.
1: How long did it take to put that seven minutes together?
7: Oh, good I good mean, besides well, your whole life. I
8: mean, you know.
1: <laughs>
8: <laughs> well, John and Des had pretty much had a, an idea about what that before before I even came on board, right, about what was going to happen.
6: Th- there wasn't a script. I mean, uh, we, I was uh, living in Los Angeles at the time and was commuting, the commute from Los Angeles to La Jolla. Would simply be listening to the music and uh, would go to Des's uh, home and th- and there wasn't any script. I mean, he would just talk me through it. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day we sat sat down and said, "Okay, now we have to do the prologue. We have to do the introduction." And uh, it worked out the 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 storyline, the the information that we wanted, and said, "Okay, well, for this, you know, how can we represent this in not only the most economic way possible, but also." How can you get rid of that image and bring a new image uh, to bear, uh, um, you know, for the next sequence and tell the story as you mm-hmm. go visually? But uh, I mean, but also it's important to know that the, that the music all through this is, is really what's driving these images. I mean, mm-hmm. that without the music, these images wouldn't appear, the story wouldn't appear. I mean, so you say there's no script, but there is a script and it's, it's the music. And you just sen- you sense it, I mean, even the, the rhythm, the pulse the uh the tone the melody whatever is there is uh is very real i mean that's what uh i mean if we recognize anything uh you know in terms of the quality of the piece it's it's all born from the music
3: did you have something to listen to because the the album of course has been rearranged plus you got what one new song yeah, um, th- but the order of the of the songs uh, in the album. Well, was it was you know you jumped different. around
6: listening to it on on the album, yeah. and then you'd have to like take a, you'd have to pull over to the side of the road when you had some emotional recall from a you know. A, a As you were shuttling I, back yeah, and forth yeah, between
7: yeah, LA and yeah, San yeah. <laughs> uh, <absolutely. laughs> I, I had not listened to the music.
6: I had not listened to the music since uh, college days, and I remember you know I, I mean I can't get it into sp- I won't get into it specifically because it's too personal, but. There was very personal responses uh, in my life to certain sequences in the music uh, that uh, I had not listened to in a long time. And all I had to do was hear the musical phrase, and I was off to the side of the road, just boo-hooing. You know, just like, it was was very...
2: it was very interesting having that on Broadway too. It was, it was yeah. a very it's, exciting thing. It's
6: very that. difficult to watch the show. I mean, it, what's nice is is to go back and watch the show, if you, uh, which I do, uh, uh, because while we were working on it and in, in tech rehearsals, and I'm sure everyone can attest to this, it's it's, it's the least uh, enjoyable event in your life. I mean, a, a, oh, a, a musical no. that, or something sort of entertaining. I mean, I know when we were doing Candide at the Guthrie, Garland said, "Isn't this just the worst experience you've ever been through in yeah, your life?" Why are we God. doing this? Yes. Process. Why do you do this? I mean, it's there. It's very difficult. It's arduous. It's it's. You think, uh, how many am I going to kill an actor today?
7: Yeah.
6: You or know, or I? yeah.
7: <laughs> but that's where you just, Patricia. How that's often so do
2: you go back and look at the costumes of the show, after it's been on, uh, had a run, or don't you, or do you?
0: Oh, I do. I do. Oh. I think, in a funny way, we all have to patrol. Uh-huh. I look upon myself <laughs> as patrol, patrol. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Uh, because... Is responsibility is that, as a matter of fact?
0: Well, I think it, for all of us, each department head who's maintaining the show in the theatre is their responsibility. But the, the, the beyond that technical point, responsibility lies with the designers. To see that everyone is, is not letting the show slip. I know that, I'll give you a silly example, it goes back thousands of years to a show called Fiddler on the Roof, and I began to watch, and we had, oh, I don't want to discuss how the hands-on of the making of those clothes, but I began to watch it sort of drain in color and drain in color. I'd go backstage, and, and the wardrobe people were fabulous, they were getting everything was clean and hung up and this and that, and there were no complaints. I thought something's the matter. It took me about a year and a half to suddenly realize they were being dry-cleaned. And I thought, but most of it's cotton or silk and all this stuff is sort of slowly accumulating. It is not cleaned out. So I said, has to be washed. Washed? mean, it would have to wash it. I mean that, good God. So we began a little process called, we'll take it back to the shop, and we had big barrels filled with soap and water and I'd take it blouse by blouse and skirt by skirt and apron and apron and I'd watch the colors come back to the original colors and if for any reason during the dry cleaning process they had dropped we dyed them over again and put them into the tin sacks because we kept records and they went back and slowly the show came up to this feeling of 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 ghetto peasant rural pressed down people who still sparkled in their soles, and therefore in their hankies <laughs> and their little scarves, and there, these little clarities of color would, could puncture through. But what I was doing was uh, watching it get dimmer and not really seeing it, because if you watch it, you don't see these subtle, subtle shifts.
7: Well,
5: I did as a producer, and I considered did it you? up to me uh-huh. to make uh-huh. sure that That's it was good. always sparkling. And my, wow. my productions ran a long time. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's why you're Jean Dalrymple, <laughs> <laughs> you know?
0: It's true. I mean, mm-hmm. that kind of passion and love for the craft of maintenance Yes.
5: Yeah. What, what about today? Remarkable.
0: Do you still
2: go back today for the large production, or are you busy oh, yeah. doing something else? Well, both, mm-hmm. both, both.
3: Elizabeth, um, brother Truckers ran what, maybe six weeks or something like that.
4: Actually, the run was extended. I think it ran several months, and then it went to England and then to the wow. Edinburgh Festival. So, did you have that kind of responsibility for? I could I couldn't bear to look. <laughs> <laughs> they had to take care of it themselves. Yeah, and there's a wonderful wardrobe mistress, but the, there's not enough money to properly maintain yeah. a staff that could properly maintain. Yeah. Yeah. The clothing, oh so gosh. no, I, that's why I didn't bring anything. How many, how many no. costumes I did you? How many mm-hmm. costumes did
3: you have to construct for that show? It wasn't a very large cast, but it seems to me they switched costumes. Yeah, because drag ones.
4: queens love to wear dra- different clothes. Right? You know? I mean, that's what's <laughs> so great for a costume design. That's yeah. why I do so much drag work because they don't care about the character. They just want to look fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and there's a costume change every time you blink. So. Mm-hmm. I, as, as as much as you don't keep track of the budget, I don't know how many clothes there were. Uh-huh. I just kept, I just kept
3: doing that. Well, there were there were four performers who cross dressed. I guess there were two women playing men and two men playing women in, in Brother Trucker's. Um,
4: that sounds about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: is there a particular challenge to designing for uh, the the opposite sex to the, what the character is? L- little things that you have to do differently?
4: Yes. There there. Are, um, little tricks that you have to do with undergarments um, particularly well for a man going into a woman's body often you'll you'll pad the hips or pad the bust and and it's a very it's a major drag queen decision whether to shave or not whether you want that total illusion of change charles ludlam i think never shaved never shaved, mm-hmm. never shaved because mm-hmm. it was all up here mm-hmm. and i i regret i will always regret never having seen him on stage um, yeah, Everett doesn't wow. shave. I understand he was just... He was
7: amazing. Camille
6: was
0: Absolutely astonishing. Mm,
6: yeah. I mean, I, I remember that being up one of the first dress Joanne Acolitis dressed like an egg, Charles Ludlam doing Camille were like, I think what launched me into, into <laughs> New York, you know. And the Camille was... It's just, uh, you know, yeah. you just like look at people that haven't seen it and you go,
7: Sorry. <laughs> well, they
3: revived. Right. They, they I've right. not, <laughs> not even tried <laughs> yeah. to
6: describe it. They revived
3: you know. the Camille for Everett. Everett played and Camille differently, and and, and mm-hmm. Elizabeth Reed did the costumes Absolutely. for that. And they were they were remarkable. They were so funny, the costumes, and yet they fit. W- when when the mood shifts, you know, there's this wonderful tension in Camille between it being hilariously over the top, and then and then the pathos. Of the original story, mm. uh, taking hold, and when it when it needed to be sad, the costumes were sad. And I think mm-hmm. Everett
6: did. Yeah, but yeah. but what we were talking <laughs> about at the, at the beginning of, of this afternoon was you know uh, doing stuff in your living room, doing mm-hmm. you know he he's someone who who never left his living room. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> he never left. Never left the living house, room. Yeah, and you felt that you were on you were on that's his right. turf, that's and right. uh, it was it was the most delightful experience.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Well, most
0: I always thought that my costumes were among the best in the world, and the ones that ever it did. And I think you are such a lucky person to inherit that area, because the the work was absolutely top,
3: just of the best. Wendell, do you think you could show us the, the slides? of the pinball wizard section i'm sure everybody would really like to we if you can ha- cut
8: actually there's uh, what what what
3: did you bring us here, uh, oh well you've got the mirror the the wardrobe, uh, the wardrobe with the mirror board, on right. the
8: fabulous wardrobe. but we don't want to tell anybody about this who hasn't seen it then we'll give away the plot <laughs> i've <I'm sorry. laughs> Oh. Um, <laughs> this uh there's a, a scene that takes place in a courtroom and oh, yes. this
3: those are your wildest the slides i think the, yeah the where the section. where the flag
8: melts which is uh-huh. one of my uh, favorite things. So it's one of the things we that I experimented with early on in trying to think of what how to approach the artwork for Tommy was actually photographing in reflections and trying to <coughs> melt imagery and that was very unsuccessful in my studio. But anyway, with a computer you can do it. It's a lot easier. Um, this is one of the These are the fabulous uh, John Arnold doors that have w- won the choreographic award. Uh, you know, it wasn't really the dancers that won that Tony. <laughs> it, was, it was the doors. dancing doors. Free it was the dancing doors. Door, the freestanding dancing
3: yeah. doors, uh, Well, the pinball machine that, that dances, that, too, is quite miraculous. And, I, <laughs> and the, here are the fabulous CAT scan machines,
8: mm-hmm. um, and the illuminated uh, doorway. Mm -hmm. I don't have any of the It's the last one I have. This is the end where Tommy has become so famous that uh, his face is everywhere, which is an interesting dilemma because Mm -hmm. you could not use the actor's face. Because if he got sick or was replaced, it would become a very expensive process. Mm-hmm. So we, in La Jolla, we actually used the actor's <laughs> face, because we thought, well, it's only a couple of weeks. He'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but so on Broadway, you know, that's why there's
7: the, the hand in front of the So, face, you know, I was
8: really, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, and, and the yeah. shadow profiles. And so, yeah. so that was oh, why we came depressing. up with that idea. So, otherwise- you could, I mean, it's, you just wouldn't want to go to the effort of having to change. Eight, yeah. It's 18 screens. Every every single image is 18 slides. so. Where were the screens created? Um, the screen is just, it's actually one big piece of screen material. It's just divided up into 18 different
1: screens. Oh my God, I have to go see this. <laughs> <laughs>
8: yes, 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 I'm like the only one in the world who hasn't seen it. I'm also sad about that.
3: Mm-hmm. We'll get there now. But that's the
8: last of the slides that I have.
3: John Arnone, you won our award last year, as well as this year, for Pericles, and you were—you live in California. You work all over the world, it seems. You weren't able to come. Uh, your director, uh, Michael Greif, came and, and represented you admirably, but I've been dying to know all these months the answer to a question. Uh, on the set of Pericles the terracotta wall the fragmented terracotta wall had handprints all over it right does this in some way convey the the thematic material of pericles um, about lo- losing and regaining, about life and death and so forth. I mean, was this a set metaphor or what exactly inspired you to put those handprints all over that set? It,
6: it, I think it has more to do with my subscription to National Geographic magazine <laughs> than <laughs> anything quite... I mean, it's, a, it's an image that we saw. It, it's, it's about presence. It's about witnessing. It's about uh, the idea of what you're talking about is a, is, is a wall in which there are a lot of white sort of ghost handprints. And it's, uh, it's simply an image of a silent witness, of people that have uh, been present at one time uh, who are no longer there to tell the story, uh, but are there to b- bear witness to the story. Mm-hmm. So uh, even though you see like one person on stage, you get a sense that there is an echo, there's mm-hmm. a depth, there is a recurrent, a historical recurrence, mm-hmm. a, um, um, uh, a multitude uh, that, that has uh, has visited this uh, this plot, this point in time uh, uh, before. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's about witnessing, I think,
7: mm-hmm.
6: and testifying mm-hmm. to one's a, one's uh, one's uh, being around for the event.
5: Would be nice to have a program note about that.
6: Well, they, the <laughs> you know the s- some theaters uh, <laughs> you know do have uh, liner notes. You know, great yeah. uh, you know put. Put their dramaturgs to the task, and right. that's always exciting to have that. I mean, I know when I I think it is. Yeah,
5: well, most
0: theaters, except for the Broadway theater, do do provide that kind of surround of yes. information. Yeah, you yeah, absolutely
3: are. Mimi, are you inspired to go back and do another Broadway show after hearing? Uh, uh, Wendell and John talk about Tommy, or, or are you just as happy working on your infinite budgets in smaller theaters? <laughs>
1: well, that's an easy answer. Um, I've only done one Broadway show, and it was under the Broadway Alliance, so I, I can't say I've really done a Broadway show, if you will. Uh, are you eager to? Would no, you like the challenge? <laughs> no, is the answer. A lot of politics. No. A lot of politics. Harder and harder, less fun. And I find regional theatre and regional opera and international opera um, Mm -hmm. the place I'm most comfortable in. Mm -hmm.
3: What are you working on right now?
1: Um, About 12 shows. Um, I'm doing the next two shows at Hartford Stage. I just came from Baltimore Center Stage. And uh, I'm doing uh, opera in Houston, Dallas, Edmonton, Munich, San Diego. Blah blah blah, uh, and and it's uh, I'm I'm sort of in the opposite place where J- I'm John is in a way because uh, I would absolutely love I think once in my life to be able to go to a place and actually be a l- part of the long process yeah. but I'm I I'm in hit and run I mean I literally mm-hmm. come yeah. in never know anybody's name <laughs> or anything.
2: Few, could we go around and find out what everybody's working on now?
1: Well, I think we've heard from Mimi. Yeah, my next uh, show is uh, it's called Keeley and Dew, and it's at Hartford Stage.
8: Uh, Wendell? I'm doing Night and Her Stars, the new Richard Greenberg play at uh, South Coast Rep.
3: Mm. Patricia?
8: On December 9th, My
0: Fair Lady, a whole new way of looking at it we oh. hold, <laughs> 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 will grace the stage of the Virginia. It's been out on tour. I'm also working on something that has me completely enthralled and has had me enthralled for the last five years. It's a black musical theater opera being written by a man, having been written by a man named Walter Robinson. It will have a very, very definitive uh, run for a week up at the Wang Center this January, hopefully to launch it into uh, regional or Broadway, or good off-Broadway homes.
4: Elizabeth? I'm working on Fences at Center Stage. And John?
6: Uh, Len Jenkins' Careless Love at Soho Rep and the Tour of Greece that's going to go out in January.
0: Is that what it's calling, or are you touring
6: Greece? Tur- Greece,
7: oh, the, the tour. Greece, the musical. <laughs> it's uh, it's
4: uh, not by uh, Greece. design. <laughs> Post apocalyptic Greece. <Right. laughs>
2: I'm sorry. It really is not by design. But I am going to have to bring this to a close. And this has been the American Theatre Week seminar. I'm working in the theaters, and this seminar is on design. The people that bring the whole magic to you, you come into the theater, and before you unfolds lights, music, costumes, sets, and you're in another world. There is nothing like it, and these people on on the panel today, have all been recipients of the American Theatre Wing's Design Award, which goes to both off, off Broadway and Broadway. I'm Isabel Stevenson, and I'm president of the American Theatre Wing, and the, the seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center at the City University of New York. Thank you for being here, and thank you, wonderful creative designing panel.
1: I'm 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 in the opposite place where John is, in a way, because uh, I would absolutely love—I think—once in my life.